the outback. I feel something out here you don't feel anywhere else. It's more than a setting. It's a character in our shared story. I think he's like the king, like the best. Lee Kernigan. Lee Kernigan. Lee Kernigan. From these little country towns that I draw most of the inspiration for the songs that I record. But when you take a place, a person, time, a story, and wrap it up in words and music, well, that's magic. Country music has a way of blurring the lines. When the tunes feel right, life and song become one. It's about my mates, my town, my story. That's the trailer for Lee Kernigan, Boy from the Bush. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. It's been a while since the last episode of the Cinema Australia podcast, but for those who enjoy listening, I'm happy to let you know I will be publishing more regularly in the lead up to our 100th episode. In this episode, though, I'm joined by Lee Kernigan, Boy from the Bush writer and director Creve Stenders, a filmmaker I have a tremendous amount of respect for and someone I've wanted to guest on this podcast for years. Stenders is carving out quite a niche for himself as a documentary filmmaker following very successful feature films like Red Dog and Danger Close, The Battle for Long Tan. Stenders' recent documentary work includes Slim and I, the go-betweens right here, and Brock over the top. I've interviewed Stenders once before and I find him to be such an insightful filmmaker with a deep understanding of his craft. Here, Stenders discusses growing up around music, working with Lee Kernigan, filming the energetic concert scenes, his passion for good storytelling, why he thinks Lee Kernigan, Boy from the Bush, is his most experimental film yet, and why documentary filmmaking is such an exciting medium right now. Lee Kernigan, Boy from the Bush, is a part concert film, part road movie, celebrating the life and music of Lee Kernigan, the much-loved Australian country singer. It combines the stunning landscapes, remarkable people and amazing stories that have inspired him over many years, with some of his greatest hits and a brand new song performed live with his band at a specially filmed concert. I'm in no way a country music fan, but I thoroughly enjoyed this film, and I think most of you will too. Lee Kernigan, Boy from the Bush, is in cinemas from July 28. Anyway, enjoy. Creed Stenders, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you. I remember the last interview that we did in Perth a few years ago. You gave some great answers and you, you're always such a great insight into the filmmaking process. So it's always exciting to be chatting with you. Thanks. Um, congratulations on this film. I'm not the biggest country music fan and I certainly don't own any uh, Lee Kernighan albums. But while I was watching this movie, I realised that Lee Kernighan, the musician and singer, actually transcends country music and that uh, this icon is actually a symbol for community and the Australian spirit and what most of us strive towards as human beings. Um, as a diehard death metal fan, for the first time ever, I was tapping my feet to country music and that's an achievement in itself. So congratulations again. Wow. Wow. Gosh. Yeah, that, that should go on the poster. That's great, Matthew. Uh, are, are you hearing uh, things like that? You know, people, are, are you uh, changing people's opinion on country music? Uh, yeah, look, I, I must admit, I haven't really um, heard many, I mean, you're I'm starting to kind of get that response. So it's very early days yet to, you know, the film only screened at the Vision at, at Winton and I wasn't able to go there. So I'm sort of a little bit removed. I've been working and I'm, I'm kind of a bit in my, in my own bubble, but I'm beginning mm. to, I remember showing it to Greg, um, Greg Doppeloff, the, 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 the festival director at Winton. And he, again, he said the same thing. He's not a country music fan, but he felt, wow, you know, the music really, um, as you said, it sort of transcended the genre. And, 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 and it, look, I must admit I'm the same. Look, I, I, I wasn't a, a Lee Kernighan fan by any means before making the film. And I really kind of did, didn't go out of my way to listen to his songs, but mm. um, you know, I've made, been working on this film for almost two years. And I gotta say, every time I've watched the film or listened to it, um, I don't get sick of the music. It's so there's something in that. I don't know what, but there's something in that. Mm -hmm. uh, did you just say that you couldn't make the, uh, the vision splendid screening? No, I couldn't. I was actually in Queensland shooting. I was in Ingham of all places. So I was close, but far. Yes. Yes. Oh, what a shame because that, that would have been a perfect audience to experience this film with. Yeah. Well, especially because we'd shot in Winton as well. You know, we were, Winton is one of the locations that we shot in. But, um, but anyway, there's always next year. Yes, that's right. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work and I've got a million questions that I'd love to ask you about your career, you know, and, and the other films that you've made. But I'm going to try to stay on track here by focusing my questions on this film specifically. Um, but I do want to go right back for a moment. Music is obviously in your soul. You've made a couple of music documentaries now. Um, it, it's in most of us. Uh, everybody loves music. But I'm keen to know your earliest memories of music in general, like the first bands or song that uh, that struck you, uh, memories of music with your family, things like that. Yeah, well, look, I grew up in the 70s. You know, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. I was born in 64, so... Um, I had parents who were uh, young, they listened to great music. They went, my father actually studied in Liverpool and our neighbours were Stu Sutcliffe's parents from the Beatles, who was wow. one of the original Beatles. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up with the Beatles, um, uh, grew up with, you know, Neil Diamond, um, uh, all sorts of music. Uh, from a very early age. So, uh, you know, and then obviously I think, you know, my, my seminal musical moment was when I was again, you know, 11 or 12 and heard ABBA and uh, bought the Best Of album and played it nonstop. And, um, and yeah, I, I think music is like film. There, it's, these, it's like food, you know, I, I, you need it. Uh, I need it to survive and to, and to kind of stay nourished. So, 
Um, and to me, there's no more delicious cocktail than film and music together, you know. So music films or films with music in them or films about music or music that's used in films is something that's, you know, I'm very passionate about. Yes. Um, you just mentioned that you were born in 1964. Um, are you following the Splendour in the Grass saga at the moment with the, the whole concert being flooded out and everybody wanting to leave? I feel like throughout history, we've seen these great photos of these huge concerts like Woodstock and things like that, where people are dancing in the mud and it's raining and it's complete chaos. Whereas today, these audiences just want to go home because there's a little bit of rain. <laughs> well what is it what's that mean you know there's that meme that goes around of someone like born in the 60s bumping yes. into a door and they ignore yes. it <laughs> by the time they come the millennial the millennial's crying and you know screaming out in pain yes um, yes you know it's a bit, bit like that I think yeah. yeah it feels like it um did you hang around with musicians when you were younger did you have any friends who were in bands yeah well look I I um very much so. Like I was very lucky. I, um, I, I went to a school that was near a record store in Brisbane called the Tawong Music Centre. And it was my basically my milk bar, really, uh, after school. Rather than going to the milk bar, I'd go to this record store um, and hang out there. And that's where I met the go-betweens. Mm. Um, and even then, I was still at high school. I was asked to help them shoot one of their short films. Um, so I was, I'm very much like that kid in Almost Famous. Um, that was my childhood. So very much I, I was kind of, and then I was kind of sequestered down to Sydney in the early eighties to shoot music videos and, you know, Bad Seeds were playing and everyone was living in squats. And so I, I you know, I had a very early education of the ways of the world when I was very young, mm. um, through the rock and roll prison, through the rock and roll world. So music, rock and roll bands, musicians, walking around with a Super 8 camera, shooting music videos. That's really, really where I kind of began as a filmmaker. Yeah. Now, your IMDb profile credits you as the director of the go-betweens uh, streets of your town, but I believe there were two video clips for that song. Is that right? What was your involvement there? Yeah, well, look, um, basically, uh, I, um, I made the first clip. I actually co-directed it with a guy called Anthony Clare. Uh, we made the first clip for Mushroom Records, uh, for the band and we made a fairly um, eclectic, esoteric, almost avant-garde music video in which the band didn't play. It was kind of a kaleidoscopic uh, collage of shots of various capital cities from Brisbane down to Melbourne. And then I think the, um, the band got an American label and the American label saw the clip and said, what's this? We need to see the band. <laughs> Yes. So they got um, a filmmaker who I really admire, um, uh, a Melbourne filmmaker called Paul, Paul Goldman, to remake mm. the clip. And mm. I love the clip as well. I love Paul's clip. And Paul's an incredible film clip maker. Um, he was one of the guys that I idolised, that I actually kind of, he was one of my heroes, really, uh, yeah. back when I was starting out as a music video maker. He was one of a, he was one of a, a group called The Rich Kids, and they made mm. some really great music videos at that time. So... Yeah, that's the story behind that. So I'm, I'm, I kind of feel chuffed that I was able to make a film clip for the go-betweens, but my, you know, my other kind of geeky part just loves the fact that Paul Goldman also made a version of the clip. <laughs> yes. uh, your clip's very hard to find. I couldn't find a copy of it anywhere. It's on YouTube. It's on it YouTube. is there? Okay, right. Yeah. I have to yeah. dig a bit deeper. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, I've spoken with a few filmmakers recently who began their careers directing music videos like uh, Alex Proyas, 
uh, Selena Stang and uh, Jane Castle uh, re more recently. Um, music videos seem to be a rite of a passage uh, for filmmakers of that era. Would you agree? Totally, totally. Well, it was really our, it was pre-internet, you know what I mean? It yeah. was our sort of, it was our internet in a way. Mm. You know, those music shows, obviously there was Countdown, but there were a number of others um, on the ABC, like Rock Arena and um, uh, even Rage, you know, had been it started uh, in my time. Uh, and there was, a, there was MTV, you know, Richard Wilkins was, do, was doing, you know, like a, a Friday night hourly show called, you know, called MTV. And, um, you know, this was a great venue for us. It was a great way to get our work seen. Um, and there was all the Saturday morning music video shows. And as I said, this is pre-internet. So it was kind of like uh, um, I, I would watch these shows avidly to see what other directors were doing. And occasionally you'd just see amazing work, you know, that would just sort of inspire you and go, fuck, I've got to top that. You know what I mean? So it was a, it was a very health, there was a lot of healthy competition um, amongst us. You know, Alex Preuss obviously was the guy that was the go-to guy for the big clips and his work was, you know, kind of cast a big shadow over all of ours. But, you know, again, he was someone we all looked up to and, and whose work we admired greatly. And Jane Castle, I went to film school with Jane, or she was in the year oh, above me. Right. Um, incredible cinematographer, like, uh, you know, an amazing eye. And uh, her work as well was always inspirational for me. I was always going, oh, wow, you know, that's Jane shot that. That's fucking great. Okay, I've got to remember trying <laughs> try to do that in my next clip and if I can get Jane to shoot it. But I could never get her to shoot it. She was always so busy. <laughs> yes. I imagine she would have been hard to, to tie down. Yeah, she was in demand. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, so you've made a, a couple of music documentaries now, uh, including Slim and I and uh, The Go-Betweens right here. Um, is there a genre of music you, you wouldn't make a, music about, uh, a documentary about? Well, that's a really interesting question. I've never really thought of it. Uh, probably death metal. Yeah. <laughs> Although, <laughs> you know what? I would say no, there probably isn't a genre I wouldn't touch. No, I think, every, yeah. I think music is, is like... Um, it's like traveling, you know, you go, it, it, you, 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 you know, sometimes when you go somewhere and you're not quite sure what to expect and you're surprised um, and you explore it, the more you understand about the genre, the more you learn about it, the more you begin to appreciate it. So yes. I'm very open-minded. Um, there really isn't probably any kind of, that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, you know, I would, yeah, there's probably nothing that would, that would, I mean, I would take it on as a challenge, maybe to do a death metal documentary. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually. I heard a, um, a, a DJ say recently that she used to work in a pub and uh, of all the genres of music that would come through the pub, the death metal fans were the nicest and the most pleasant and the, the easiest to deal with, whereas all of the other genres of music would often start fights and they'd be difficult to deal with at the bar. So maybe there's room for you to, um, you know, to, to get into that style of music. Yeah, well, look, again, if it's a good story, if it's a good story, it doesn't really matter as long as it's a good story. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, move on to the, uh, to the Lee Kernigan film that you've made here. Uh, tell us about meeting Lee for the first time. Uh, describe him as a person. Well, um, I'll, I'll just start a step before that. Basically, I was a, I, obviously I'd made, um, you mentioned a film called Slim and I, which I made with Chris... Brown and Diana Delane, the producers, and they came to me with the, we started a discussion about, uh, you know, doing another project, another music-based project, and Chris sort of mentioned Lee's name, 
And I kind of, my ears pricked because I went, oh, that's interesting. We've just done a film about Slim Dusty. And to me, even though I'd really, I knew of Lee, I've known of him, but I didn't really know his music. I just thought, wow, okay, he's kind of interesting because he is kind of a modern day Slim Dusty. Mm. And he's iconic, you know, whether you like him or not, he's iconic. And I thought, well, look, I'm interested. Yeah, you know, and I was very much interested in the idea of making a, something that was um, performance-based. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd sort of had that in my mind from the get-go of doing, not doing a traditional bio, biopic doc, but doing something that had music in the foreground of it up front. Um, and so I pitched an idea to them about, well, why don't we do a kind of a concert film but where we interweave stories and a, a documentary within the performance. Mm -hmm. And we agreed that that was a kind of a good approach. So we went to Lee's management with that idea, with that, with that idea. And once they kind of, the management got back saying, you yeah, were interested in talking, it was really very straightforward. It was a phone call, really. It was actually a Zoom call, I remember. Um, and I think the idea, the concept was intriguing enough for them and interesting enough for Lee to kind of start engaging with it. And he was very down to earth and very, very upfront and very, very straightforward. And I think he just really liked the idea. And then um, uh, I think he liked what I was saying. So we sort of found a common ground and then it was just very straightforward from there. We started talking about songs and talking about a set list and talking about what we could talk about and what we could film in between. And, you know, slowly the, the sort of the project emerged out of a number of, say maybe about four or five very long Zoom calls. Yeah, that, that's interesting that, uh, that you all decided to weave this, um, you know, the documentary with a concert film. Uh, it, it turned out so great because uh, Lee pretty much gets to explain every one of his songs before he performs them, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's sort of like the version of, you know, when someone gets up to the mic and says, you know, introduces the song, it's, it's sort of a cinematic mm. version of that, where you get to hear and see the stories and the people that have inspired Lee. And Lee was very conscious of the fact that he didn't want to make a, a film necessarily all about him. Um, and I thought it was very clever of him to, to kind of understand what I was doing because his music is, is about the land. It, it, it celebrates the land and the people of the land and in all its facets, both, you know, epic and um, intimate, um, you know, and it was great to get him to just give us this very um, poetic, I guess, um, and very simple and very heartfelt overview. Yes, yeah. Uh, very, very clever of Lee to want to get his community involved in this film, right, because without the community leaves pretty much nothing. Um, so I, I just thought it was very clever to, to get all of these people involved in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the idea was to, you know, even the trailer says, you know, it was in my pitch, like it's a love letter to rural Australia. We, yes. we really wanted to, to honour and recognise uh, the generations of people that have listened to Lee and that Lee has been inspired by and that have been inspired by Lee. So yeah. it's... Um, it was, a, it was reciprocal. It was a very mutual kind of deal, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, give us a bit more of an insight into, into Lee Koenig and the man. You did, you did touch on him just briefly then, but, but tell us a bit more about, about Lee, the man. Well, he's a, he's a bloke. He's, mm. a pretty, he's pretty 
straightforward. He doesn't have too many airs and graces about him. He's obviously very successful, you know, in what he's done. He's built an amazing brand for himself. Um, he's very, but he's very, he's, he, he's a perfectionist and he's very hard on himself. Um, you know, working with him was, you know, it was demanding. You know, he wouldn't, he would, you know, like we wrote the, uh, we co-wrote the narration together along with Cole Buchanan, his co-writer. Mm. Um, and again, that was a very laborious project, process of refining this narration. And he always wanted to make it better. He always wanted to change it. And it always was better, you know. And I, I could see, I got, it gave me an insight into what he was like to work with as a musician. You know, apparently it takes years to make an album because he just always wants to improve it. Um, mm. So he sets himself a very high standard. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse because, you know, yes. when it's just you and it's your product, unlike a film where it's finite. And I think that was the thing he couldn't, that was, it was interesting. I think the filmmaking process for him was a little bit, it was an anathema because, you know, films are all about, um, reverse engineering and working within resources and a timeline and a deadline and a budget. Yes. Um, and I don't think you could understand, well, why can't we just keep making it and making it better? And I said, <laughs> um, I'd love to, but I'm, you know, filmmaking isn't like your industry. It's, 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 it's much more, there's a lot more moving parts um, yes. and a lot more at stake, you know, you know, a lot more stakeholders. Yes, uh, you as a filmmaker don't get to chuck your your piece of art into a Land Rover and drive around to make sure that it uh, that it works, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I put it on my computer. Yeah, yeah. I have a little bit there, but yeah, but I, I, I'm not able to go back and fix it. You know what I mean? Like, um, it, you know, you, that was I think that was a bit of a struggle for Lee sometimes. Is just understanding that you know his perfectionism, um, which is great you know, it had a limit, you know, there was a point where we, it was pens down, you know what I mean? It was, yes. okay, hand in the work. Um, yes. We've got to, we've got to, we've got bills to pay. Yeah. And you'd expect that working with an artist, right? Or we all know what, what artists are like, almost like actors and <laughs> actually I shouldn't be speaking bad about anybody, but <laughs> we know what they're no, like. No, no, I don't mean it, look, <laughs> seriously, it's, 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 I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just, it's just, it's two different cultures. That's all. Yes. It's a very different two different worlds really. Um, and you think, you'd think that rock and roll and music and film are sort of aligned, but they're actually not. They're very different disciplines in a funny kind of way. Yes. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, there are a few shots throughout the film of, uh, of Lee pouring, uh, you know, shots of uh, straight bourbon and things like that. It's interesting, there's not a lot of focus on the drinking side of it, and I'm not sure if Lee's a big drinker, but when I think about American country music, uh, there is a lot of focus on alcoholism and and things like that, whereas Lee's music tends to be so positive and, and uplifting. Yeah, well, look, I think Lee's got, you know, um, you know, he doesn't, I mean, that, those that, that, those shots are part of a, a nightly ritual that he does before every concert. So I don't think he, yeah. I don't think he ties too many on anyway. I don't think he's a big drinker, um, yes. full stop. But, um, but yeah, Lee sings about, Lee is, as I said, Lee very, very much comes out of the same, template is Slim Dusty, you know, he's following Slim Dusty's footsteps and that he's writing, his songs are about experiences, his songs are about um, the land and about um, aspects and qualities of the land that, 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 that are unique and specific. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're about hardship, but they're also about celebration and they're about fun, you know, like mm -hmm. he invented a genre, he invented ute rock. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. and, Youth culture is something I really didn't understand or appreciate until I made this film. And it is, 
it's a huge subculture. It's yes. it's incredible because um, I got to I got to see all these rushes and all these outtakes from the Denny Ute muster, and mm. my God, that is that that that's an amazing event. Um, yes. And you know, it's a subculture and it's and it's a world that um, I don't think many of us are aware, aware of. But it's a subculture in a world that Lee's music does sing to and sing about, and that's what I always found fascinating about Lee's. These music and things like Hat Town, songs about Hat Town and about these charity drives, and they're not really—it's not called charity. That's why it's mm. sort of—it's—it's it's more like pass the hat around, you know. It's, yeah. it's it, and it's part and parcel of bush culture, you know. That you know, when when someone's in trouble, you pass the hat around. Mm. Um, you know, all these things, all these very rich seams of of stories and of aspects of bush culture is something that I think Lee concentrates on and celebrates rather than talking about divorce and drinking and um, you know all the all the kind of the, the classic kind of American country and Western tropes mm-hmm. you're listening to the cinema Australia podcast on Apple podcasts SoundCloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, I've watched uh, most of the oh, pretty much everything that you've done really and you do have a unique visual style. And, uh, and your visual style really does come through in the documentary scenes, uh, which Lee narrates. Did you direct the concert scenes too, or was that a second unit? No, no, the concert, we shot the concert, uh, shot and directed the concert over two nights. Yeah. Um, at the Tivoli in Brisbane. Um, the main concert that, 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 that there's the film, of course, we, you know, I directed. So we did that with six cameras. Um, the first night was with a full audience. Mm. Um, and the second night we had a sort of a partial audience and we came in to do close-ups and, yes. and more specific coverage. Um, and we would perform the songs sometimes two to three times just to yeah. be able to get the, the, the angles and the, and the coverage we needed in order to make a film that kind of, you know, I'm a big fan of concert films. So yes. it's always something I've wanted to do. And it was a great chance to sort of work with six cameras and, um, and play with that, with that kind of in that sandbox or on that canvas. Mm-hmm. That, that's very interesting that you recorded the songs multiple times so so they performed the songs back to back again and yep. again yep they would perform wow, the songs wow. yeah perform them live and then yep. we would in the edit we'd pick a take the faded take and then we'd cut to that yeah yeah does the crowd die down a bit does the crowd lose interest or do, do these people know what no they, they were great they were in heaven yeah. they were like <laughs> They went to a, a free Lee Kernigan concert where they could drink as yeah. much as they wanted and listen to Lee Kernigan for four hours straight. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were they were an amazing audience. It was fantastic. Yeah, um, you spoke just then about those Ute musters in 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 those country towns. I grew up in country towns, and I, I have been to a couple of those kind of Ute musters. Um, uh, they are extremely fun. And, and I'm just wondering, could you describe Lee Kernigan fans to us compared to fans of other genres of music? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, well, Lee Kernigan fans, I think uh, they're, 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 I think they're pretty authentic people. Yeah. Um, I think they're unashamedly proud of who they are. Uh, there's a lot of pride in, in, in who they are and what they represent. They don't have any airs or graces about them. They're not definitely not pretentious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they enjoy a good time. They like to have fun. Yeah, there's a few um, uh, Vox Pop type uh, interviews at the beginning of the film where people are, you know, describing their love for, uh, for Lee. Uh, was there anything, any of those that you didn't include in the film? 
Oh, well, only the ones that repeated what we what the others were saying. I mean, there was, you know, we we um, I mean, everyone we everyone that was there in that audience, you know, wanted to be there and, and had a huge love and respect for Lee. And I think the thing that, you know, what made what made what I realized when we were shooting that night was that, you know, God, you know, this guy's been around for 30 years and he's built an audience up over 30 years. And that's a generational audience. So it's families that have grown up with him. Um, and I thought that was really quite profound. I thought, wow, you know, this guy is being part of these people's lives for a long time. And I went, well, what better, you know, and then I realized this film is great. It's a great kind of um, culmination of those 30 years. So it's a great way to celebrate three decades in, in, uh, of Lee doing what he does. Um, throughout the film, Lee talks about being brought up on country and what the Australian outback means to him personally. Uh, you've spent quite a bit of time on country throughout your filmmaking career. Uh, what does it mean to you to be on country? Um, it, and if anything, because I really shouldn't assume that it does mean something, but you know, everyone seems to have a personal story about being on country. Um, I think what it means to me is, is it, it, it's sort of, it's like a, um, uh, it, I'm only now just, it, it's, 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 it becomes more and more profound because obviously it's connection to First Nations people and the fact that this has been um, uh, an environment that has been traversed and experienced by human beings for thousands and thousands of years. And it's, it's, I'm only now beginning to just now begin to sort of start seeing and hearing and experiencing country in a way that I haven't before. And that's, that's, that's an accumulative slow burn. You know, it's, it's, the more I go, the more deeply I get drawn into it and the more I see and discover. So for me, it's the beginning of, what will probably be a journey that'll last me for the rest of my life, a journey of discovery that I hope continues, that I keep going to country, keep shooting films, making images, telling stories on country, about country. Mm. Um, uh, I feel very privileged that I've been able to go and see and meet the people I have. When we made True Blue, the Red Dog True Blue, the sequel, we shot that on a cattle farm um, just outside of Caratha and we shot at this area of um, extraordinary rocks. And we were told by the locals there, by, the, by our local Indigenous consultant, that this place was, was basically, you know, the hub has been the hub of, you know, their, of, of, of a meeting place for millennia. And it's suddenly, you know, you look at it and it's on one level, it's completely desolate and empty, but then suddenly you could sort of see and feel the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of souls that have kind of been through there and it really kind of, it suddenly, I, my, my, I guess what I said is I, I picked up the radio band. I could pick up yeah. the signal, I could pick up the frequency and it was like, it blew me away. It was really amazing knowing that this place had been populated for so long by so many. Mm. Would you choose to make a film on country over uh, say in the city any day or would, would that be your preference? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> I love traveling and I love, yeah, look again, as long as it's a good story, Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, and you know, Australia is extraordinary, you know, it is mm. an extraordinary place and it's an incredibly cinematic place. So we're very lucky. I think that we have this, um, uh, as filmmakers that we have this incredible environment to work with and within. Yes. Um, 
uh, back to the film here, the, the, there's a few scenes uh, where Lee talks about the difficulties of living on, on the land and in particular the struggles of rural farmers. Uh, what's it like out there at the moment for those people? And I ask this as someone whose only real connection to that part of Australia right now is through ABC's landline and, uh, and back roads. That's, that's pretty much my only connection to those areas at the moment. What's it like for people at the moment? I think it's very, very hard. Actually, I was up in Cane Country just a couple of weeks ago uh, working on another project and was talking to a cane farmer there and, and he's saying he, he'll, he'll probably go under because basically fuel costs, just the costs of production um, are crippling him. And, you know, the, the supermarket chains, the Coles and the Woolworths aren't cutting them any slack. Um, and it's, it's terrifying. You know, we've got an industry that's almost, I think, going to collapse. Um, through just uh, just through basic economics it's um it was really quite depressing and distressing hearing this guy who'd been a gen you know for generations you know his grand his father was a cane farmer from italy you know and um this guy was a really lovely man but he was he was just saying look i just don't know if i can stay afloat for for, for very much longer just because everything feed um fuel um it's just the, 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 the increases, the price increases are absolutely suffocating. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge currently, along with obviously with floods and droughts and the usual. But I think this, this, there, there is something happening now with supply chains and, and with, with the economic cost that is, um, you know, is, is, is actually quite terrifying. Yes, it really is. Um, uh, speaking of those segments in the film, uh, they really do cover a broad range of things like the outback communities, Anzac Remembrance, uh, Lee's marriage gets a bit of a mention in there and his adoration uh, of Slim Dusty. Were there any segments left out of the film that, that didn't make the cut, which, which you wished had? No. I mean, no? Interestingly, interestingly, we did, I mean, when we were making the film, when we were talking about it, I mentioned to him, I said, look, Lee, I think, you know, we cover it all bases, but the, there is one area that I think we've got to kind of, address and it's you know it's 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 as i said before it's sort of you know the indigenous connection and the first nations connection and he took that on and wrote a song collaborated with mitch tambo and fire eyes as i as i firebrace and uh they came up with this amazing um song called come together which is sort of the, to me, it's the climax of the film. It's an extraordinary song and it's a great performance. And Mitch Tambo and Isaiah are just absolutely out of this world. And I was so proud and glad that, that Lee listened and we got that in. And I think that's Lee's probably proudest moment and most satisfying moment in the film as well, personally. I think he was very, very happy with the way that turned out. Wow, that's very exciting to hear because that, that it, the song did feel fresh and it felt new and 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 much more vibrant. To, so it was written exclusively for this film. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to come out as a single. Yeah, so oh, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was he realized like out of out of his canon that was the one subject, one area that he hadn't really sung about. So he took it on and good on him. You know, he he, yeah. he went went out and collaborated with these guys and. And it's a really beautiful, powerful song. Um, yes. You know, Mitch, Mitch Tambo in the film, you know, articulates the meaning of that song really, really quite, uh, he's really an amazing speaker. Um, yeah. And um, I was so chuffed that we were able to kind of get them in the film. Yeah, congratulations to you, Crave, on, on initiating that. That's fantastic. 
Oh, thanks. No, no. Well, you know, it was again. You know, I think Lee. You know, it, it's really it's, it's credit to Lee for mm. you know taking it on and, mm. and 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 actually doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, how happy were you to get that Slim Dusty stuff in there? Because I feel like without Slim, there'd obviously be no Lee, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, and having met the family and worked with the family and with Joy, you know, they're a beautiful family. They're an amazing. Um, they're a very inspiring family for me and Lee, I'm sorry, Slim, I find an, like as a filmmaker, I find him, in, you know, I, I find it parallels to his career uh, to, you know, to the film industry, to the way our film industry has grown, you know, like mm -hmm. there are pioneers, the filmmaking pioneers like Peter Weir and Phil Noyce and Gillian Armstrong that are kind of, mm -hmm. for me, the Slim Dusties of the film world. So Slim to me is one of those iconic Australian artists mm -hmm. who went out forged his own path along with Joy, his wife, created their own industry and maintained it. You know, they maintained a body of work and produced an extraordinary body of work for an Australian audience. So they're, I think they're, they're you know, I'm so glad that, you know, we were able to honour that in the film. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned before that I see almost, oh, well, actually I see almost every Australian film released throughout the year. That's a part of my job. But I miss Slim and I, and I kick myself for it. Whenever I see it on streaming services, I think, shit, I've got to watch that. I've got to watch that movie. Um, it, because it came out in 2022, which was a really disruptive year for obvious reasons. Yeah, no, it came out, sorry, it came out 2020. Yeah. 2020. Yeah, sorry, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Um, was Lee a part of that documentary? I, I can't remember. No, no, um, no. We were uh, talking to Lee, but I think schedules didn't work. Um, but no, it, um, yeah. Watch the film, Matthew. Yes, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to see it. It's, it's definitely on my list. <laughs> yeah, it's a good companion piece. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I've worded this, this question right now. Um, I guess I do need to ask it with some sensitivity because I don't want to take anything from the way that this is a really, really good documentary and that your documentary work is, you know, top quality stuff. But are making these documentaries as creatively fulfilling for you as making a feature film like uh, Danger Close or, or Red Dog, for example? Um, I'll be honest with you. In some cases, they're creatively more fulfilling. Yes. Yeah. They're more, much more fulfilling because they're more challenging and they're harder work. Uh, and I know that sounds weird. Every film's hard work. I mean, Danger Close was the most challenging thing I'd ever done. Uh, yeah. And I'm very, very proud of it. Um, but for me right now, I guess the frame of mind I'm in right now as a filmmaker, as a film director, um, and I've got to be careful here. I don't want to kind of um, be misunderstood. But I think the age of the director is no longer, it's no longer the age of the director. It's the age of the showrunner or it's the age of the sort of the, the producer in terms of television and streaming now being the, 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 main, the main stage that everyone is sort of watching. So filmmaking, the actual craft of filmmaking has been sidelined a bit. Um, and that sort of authorship that you have as a filmmaker, uh, that craftsmanship, uh, and that individuality that I think we all love watching in films, a, a work of a particular filmmaker, we love watching what a particular voice does to a particular kind of story. That's becoming rarer and rarer. Um, and especially for filmmakers in this country, you know, feature films have now become very marginalized. Mm -hmm. So for me, documentaries are a great way to make, um, make films 
for an audience, for a wide audience, but keep my um, keep my directorial, my my filmmaking chops up, because yes. um, in documentary, in a funny kind of way, it's a much more adventurous, much more experimental, um, a much more adventurous filmmaking form than fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and in a funny kind of way, I joke that in, in a weird kind of way, I think. Boy from the Bush is probably my most experimental film because it is a tone poem. It's a, it's 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 poetry and song, um, and it's it's not a narrative. It's 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 a thematic narrative. Um, you know, so documentaries to me are a very exciting medium right now, and I'm really glad that I've been able to sort of carve out a little niche in them for now because mm. they're the it's the medium in which I can really be a director. You know, yes. I can really yeah. direct. Yes, uh, great answer there. So, so you're saying that the age of the auteur is over. We, we won't see another well, uh, Stanley Kubrick again. I th- it's on pause for now, or it's yeah. kind of it's it's sort of. I mean, it's probably over, and it's like anything. You know, every every art form has its sort of um, peak. Um, it doesn't mean that it's dead, but it's it's sort of it. it you know, its value has changed, um, and I think you know. The director as author is always going to be around, but they're a, a rarer beast. I'll put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I've got two or three more questions here. They're very quick ones, but um, I know it's been a few years now, but how did you rate Tony Truslove's performance as you in uh, Coco, a Red Dog Story? That must have been surreal. <laughs> it's still surreal. <laughs> It, that was that was the weirdest, most wonderful, beautiful, strange meta thing I've ever experienced in my life. To have someone play me, play scenes of my life that had actually happened, um, it was yeah. I'm, 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 I, and I thought Toby did a great job. <laughs> I know he was yes. fantastic. Yes, um, yeah. And Aaron and uh, Dom, who made that film, are geniuses. Those guys are just fucking. They they're brilliant. And I thought yes. what they did was. Fantastic. And we always thought of the Red Dog films as a trilogy, and that film is definitely the third film in the trilogy. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hang out with Aaron and Dom quite often. They're, they're fantastic guys. I couldn't think of anyone better to make this movie, actually. No, no, I, I just I, I love them for it. They just did, I was so blown away by what they did. I was so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when are we going to get you back over to WA to make another film? Gosh, I'd love to come. You know, there's, look, there's a few things in the pipeline. We'll wait and see, you know, um, we'll wait and see. Uh, uh, always, there's, there's always the next time. So hopefully soon. Yeah. Um, I have a question that I end every episode of this podcast with, and sometimes it stumps people and other times, you know, people are very open about it and they can answer it quite easily. But have you seen any Australian films lately that have stood out for you and, and that you've really enjoyed? Uh, yes. Um, Friends and Strangers. Yes. I think it's called Friends and Strangers. That blew me away. Yep. Yep. Uh, I love that film. Loved it. Uh, again, completely unique, completely original. Mm. Um, just a, a real voice. Like, again, in terms of a director finding, um, uh, you know, uh, a voice and a style and a, and, a, and, a, and something I'd never seen before. I, that that film really got me uh, excited. Um, uh, Wash James um, Vaughan was the director. 
Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love Philip Bateman's film about Archie Roach and Ruby Hunter. Oh, yeah. Flow, wash, um, again, a performance Wash film. My Soul in the Rivers Flow. Wash My Soul in the Rivers Flow, yes. I love that. Um, I love The Drover's Wife. I really enjoyed that. And again, it was fantastic sort of, to me, classic Australian cinema, you know, that we used to, the kind of stuff that I was reared on in the 70s, mm -hmm. you know, I thought it was a great, um, a really great uh, throw to that. But again, completely contemporary and fresh and new. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so many, yeah, I, I, I was judging, I've judged a couple of festivals this year, so I've, I've seen a few. Um, and it's just so encouraging to see you know, filmmakers making Australian films. Uh, and there was a great documentary I saw called Gita. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Mm. Mind-blowing, absolutely mm. breathtaking, uh, breathtakingly powerful documentary. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, it's set in India. Um, yes. Yeah, an Indian family. Uh, yeah. American Australian, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, lots of, yeah, very, very uh, excited for what's going on right now. And looking forward to seeing... Um, you won't be alone. I was on the plane and I missed watching it, but I want to watch that film. That's Goran's new uh, first film, and he's got a new one coming up at the Melbourne Film Festival. Yeah, of an age. Um, you answered that question very well because usually when I ask uh, filmmakers that question, their answer is, oh, I've been too busy in post production to see anything, too busy filming to see anything. Um, so you're one of the rare filmmakers that's seen quite a few Australian films, which is great to hear. Yeah, well, to me, it's all, as I said, it's food. You've got to watch. I'm always watching stuff because you're always learning and you're always, as I said, getting in, hopefully getting inspired. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Creve, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's been great to chat with you and congratulations again on the film. I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.